Good morning. If you're visiting with us today. We're really glad to have you here. We have a lot of folks that are out of town, so we want to keep that in mind and pray for all of those who are away and some not feeling well and pray for them. And so um, if you're visiting, we're, we're glad you're here. We hope you have a chance. I hope somebody will give you a visitor's card. You might fill it out. That's not to try and bug you. It's just we'll send you a card and tell you thanks for being here. And hope you come back. I hope you come back and see us again. Uh, so normally I test slide these PowerPoints on Saturday. I didn't do that yesterday. So <laughs> I'm going to, uh, and this morning uh, I did. So I'm going to pull this up. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 11. And what I realized is this thing is kind of slow. So Jesus is bringing the kingdom in Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus is a servant king. I'll explain that just a little bit more in just a moment. And John the Baptist asks a question. Are you the one? And so I'm going to go ahead and just pull up these points and not try to do this throughout the lesson because this thing. So in Matthew 11, what we're going to see, there's a dilemma that is posed there. And then following that, there's the danger of a disconnect. And then a reconnect. So that's what we'll take a look at as we go down through Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19 this morning. In Matthew chapter 11, there is a king. It doesn't just necessarily say that, but Jesus is bringing the kingdom. And so we recognize that Jesus is the king that is being talked about there. In Matthew chapter 11, there is also a servant. This particular servant that is being talked about there is John the Baptist. And so we understand whenever we think about a king, it immediately comes to our mind that a king rules. I think one of the concepts that we sometimes kind of fail to understand and to grasp is that this king also serves. This relationship between John and Jesus hinges upon the fact that Jesus, the king, serves his subjects. In turn, they desire to serve him. And that's a concept that we need to understand. And so, Jesus, in this context, we will see how he cares for his subjects and so forth. And that's what motivates them, in turn, to serve him. But in this context, you're going to see there's a dilemma because John is going to ask this question. And then there's the real danger that there could be a disconnect because he doesn't understand exactly what's going on. But as we work through this, we'll come to see how that reconnection can be made. So all I'm asking at this time is 19 verses. Stay with me (laughs) as we work down through this because there is a lesson that is highly important that is taught here but you have to follow the context in order to get down through it. So, first of all, Matthew chapter 11, 1 through 3. Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Jesus, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? There's the dilemma. John says, are you the one? Now, for some time, as you work through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been bringing the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And so he's already been preaching and healing and teaching for a period of time. He's already called the twelve. We've already gone through Matthew chapter 10 where he sent them out on the limited commission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so the knowledge of Jesus' mission has spread far and wide by this time. In Matthew 11 and verse 2. Now listen. John hears what Jesus is doing. And we have to stop and think. Where's John at this time? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) John is in prison. And he's hearing what Jesus is doing. Now, if you back up in the Gospel of Matthew, to the fourth chapter, what we come to understand about John is, is that he was a prophet, and he was preparing the way for the kingdom and for the coming Messiah. And John has been living in the desert, and he's been wearing a coat of camel's hair, and he's been eating locusts and honey, And he's living out there all by himself. And people hear him and they think he's a rather unique character. And they go out to hear what he's saying. And as it turns out, then John is baptizing and he's telling them to repent. And people are confessing their sins and they're turning. But you've got to ask yourself this question. Does John kind of fit in with everybody else? No, he doesn't. And so you ask... Does John travel to the beat of their drum? Or does he travel to the beat of somebody else's drum? I'm going to turn back to the third chapter. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. John says, And do not think to, do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. How's that sound? A little fire and brimstone, like maybe? And so John is initiating God's rescue plan. And he's saying that the kingdom is at hand. And because of his people, because of his preaching, people are coming out, they're confessing their sins, and they're being baptized by him in the Jordan. And he's pointing to the Messiah. And even Jesus comes out to be baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3, verse 15. But in so doing all of this, John's drawing a lot of attention. And he's pointing out people's sins. And he's even pointing out the sins of some people in very high and powerful places. And because of that, 
they put him in prison to shut him up. And so now John is sitting in a Roman prison. And you have to keep in mind in that day and time, prisons were horrible places to be. Do you remember when Paul told Timothy to bring his cloak? Do you remember when others were oftentimes visited? It's because when you sat in prison, they didn't care if you died of exposure. When you sat in prison, they didn't care if you died of starvation. And so that was why it was so important for somebody to come and visit you while you were in prison. And now John is sitting in a Roman prison, and he's the one that has been out preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. So Matthew 11. I'm going to turn back there. Matthew chapter, oh, one, two, one. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? So just stop and think about that for a moment. So John hears what Jesus is doing, and he descends two of his disciples to ask a question. John's the one that's been initiating all this. He hears what Jesus is doing. And then he sends two of his disciples and said, Are you the one? Now let me ask you this question. What question do you think John might be asking Jesus instead of that question? Do you think he might be sitting in prison? And he hears about Jesus. And John is the one who has announced the coming of the kingdom. And Jesus came after him. There's one who is mightier than I is coming after me. What do you think John might be asking? Jesus? How's it going? Jesus? How's that kingdom coming along? Can we expect just any nay now for the kingdom to kind of explode on the scene? You know, Jesus, I was telling people that you were bringing a winnowing fork and you were going to separate the wheat from the chaff. I was just wondering, Jesus, how's that going? And that you would baptize people with fire. How's that going, Jesus? That's not what John asks. John hears what Jesus is doing and he says, are you the one? So why does he ask that? Matthew, the way he writes oftentimes, he writes in groups so that we kind of get the picture of what he's talking about. So in this particular chapter, he's talking about various people and their response to Jesus. Some think Jesus is wonderful. Some think he's not. Some think he's a prophet. Some think he's not. Some think he's God in the flesh. Some think he's not. And so here's John. And here's his response. And his response is, 
Are you the one? Or do we look for somebody else? Based on what he's heard. In Matthew chapter 3, that I just read from a minute ago, you stop and think about what John has announced. And he said, there's one coming after me that I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. There's one coming after me that is going to set up God's kingdom the long way to Messiah. And he's also bringing judgment. That's that one that's coming after me. Fire. What's John saying? That one coming after me? He's going to bring the heat. That's what he's going to do. He's going to bring the heat. And so I'm telling you, you need to repent. John had baptized Jesus. John had seen the Spirit descend. John had heard that voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son. John is the one who had pointed to Him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And now Jesus is fully into His ministry. And Jesus has been teaching, and He's been healing, and He's been feeding people. Is that what John announced? John announced he's going to bring the heat. That's what he's going to do. And so that's what John thought was going to happen. And now John's sitting in prison. And he hears what Jesus is doing. And it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) That doesn't really match up. That doesn't really match up with what I was teaching, and now I hear what He's doing? He's out there just teaching, He's working miracles, and He's eating with all these different people? I thought He was going to bring judgment on all these people. And so He sends two of His disciples, are you the one? Verse 4, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John, The things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Some translation says, blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. And as you take a look at what Jesus says there in that particular context, there are six different things that Jesus mentions and they all come from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 29, 35, 42, and 61. And He puts those together and here's the answer for John. You go back and you tell Him what you hear and what you see and what's taking place. And then blessed is He who does not stumble because of me. Every one of those passages from the book of Isaiah, you know what they're pointing to? 
They're pointing to that coming day of the Lord. And Jesus said in that coming day of the Lord, this is what is going to take place. The blind are going to see, the lame are going to walk, the dead are going to be raised, and blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. So now here's the question. So John is saying he's going to bring judgment. And it's the day of the Lord. And he's going to bring purification. And it's the day of the Lord. He's going to bring salvation. And so John is saying he's going to make a separation. The wheat from the chaff. Purification. He's going to baptize with fire. He's going to bring judgment. And so John's got an image in his head about how this is going to take place. So I ask you this question. Can Jesus bring purification of His people by what He's doing? Can Jesus bring judgment to people by what he's doing. Can he bring salvation to people by what he's doing? And John's saying, wait a minute. I heard he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing, he's eating with sinners. Is it possible that through what Jesus is doing, that he's bringing purification, that he's bringing judgment, that he's bringing salvation. And the definitive answer to that is yes. See, John thought it would happen in another way. And Jesus says, you go back and you tell John. And blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. You know what he's saying? Are you with me, John? Are you with me? And what Jesus is saying, John, you weren't wrong in what you said. You were absolutely right. You just didn't fully understand how this was going to all take place and how all this was going to come about. John, the kingdom is here. And I am the one. It just doesn't look the way that you had it playing in your head. And so he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble because of me. John preaches heat. And Jesus brings healing. And John's saying, how's that work? And he's in prison. And he has a question. Where's the kingdom, Jesus? Where's the heat, Jesus? And Jesus responds, it's right here, Jolly. And if you can just get past what you thought and actually see what I'm doing, you go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. Can you get past your own thoughts, John, and just watch what's happening? So that's the dilemma. So the next thing is the danger of the disconnect. 
So in Matthew 3 and verse 12, John had announced the winning fork is in his hand and he will clear out his threshing floor and he will gather the wheat in his barn and he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's what John preached. And John had a vision of what that was going to take, uh, what that was going to look like. Now think about this for a moment. John's in a bad place. John is in prison. He's in a Roman prison. That's no place to be. You can rot in a Roman prison. And he's sitting there and he hears, Jesus got that army together yet? They're probably coming for me any day. And he's doing what? He's eating with sinners. And he's healing people. What about the king? And so he's in a bad place. Have you ever been in a bad place in your life? A miserable place in your life? A place that you wanted out of in your life? And you do like John? You point to Jesus, and rightly so, but you're still in that bad place. You with me? You with me? That's where John is. And so whenever John's question comes, or wherever John's question comes from, John had his own idea in his head how all this would work out. And how the kingdom would come. And what Jesus would do. And what that would do for his life. And the problem is that story is not coming true. And so John. He's rocked by this. John's world is rocked by this. Because what he's hearing. Is not what he was thinking. And so he sends his disciples. Are you the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? So now let me ask you this question. Is John's hope in Jesus? Is John's hope in Jesus? I think it is. But the experience that he's having is not matching up with the hope that he had. And so I'd ask, have you ever been there? Or have you known someone who's been there? Or they're still there right now? See, I had this image of when I started following Jesus, this is what would happen in my life. But it's not happening. So in one sense, John's hope is in Jesus And in another sense, it's not. Jesus is not doing what he thought. And things are not going the way he thought they would go. So there can be a disconnect. But at the same time, can we sympathize with John? And can we identify with John? Because in Matthew 11, 
what Matthew records for us is a life lesson. Because sometimes we think life should go a certain way. And that following Jesus should bring certain blessings that we've determined. And that Jesus ought to do certain things. And so we have to stop and ask. Is your hope in Jesus? Now stay with me a moment. Stay with me. Following Jesus always, always, always brings blessings to your life. Always. Life with Jesus is always better than without Jesus. But life may not turn out the way you had it in your head. Can we see that? It may not turn out the way you had it in your head. And so what Jesus is telling John and what Matthew records for us here and what he is saying is what's in your head stay with Jesus. No matter how it's playing out Stay with Jesus. And watch what he does. And that's what Jesus is telling John. You go back and you tell John what you hear and what you see. Now let me give you a little illustration. Sometimes when things don't turn out in life the way we think they ought to turn out, Sometimes we can just be crushed by that. Or sometimes we can become jaded by that. Oh, I tried following Jesus. It didn't turn out the way I thought it should turn out, so I'm done. So listen. Go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. So what would you hear and what would you see? Well, I heard and I saw... That Jesus healed some people. Not all people. I heard and I saw that Jesus fed some people. Not all people. I heard and I saw that Jesus raised some people from the dead. But not all people. But will all people's lives be made better by trusting and following Jesus? And the answer is yes. Yes. And so Jesus is telling John, stay with me. So here's the point. Struggles, challenges, Come our way. But sometimes that's what brings clarification to faith. Is your faith in Jesus or in what you thought He would do for you? Can we see the difference? John, stay with me. 
Go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. And so John is sitting in prison and he hears what Jesus is doing and it's, what about me, Jesus? And when those moments come, that helps us to see what we were really expecting when we decided to follow Jesus. And that's where John is. So thirdly, there has to be a reconnect. So now Matthew 11, I'm going to skip down to verse 7 and read down to verse 15. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For he is, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not been one risen greater than John the Baptist. For he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus answers. And John doubts. But Jesus never says one single negative word about John. And so he asks him, verse 7, What did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You ever seen that? And the wind blows, and it shifts this way, and then it blows again, and it shifts this way. And Jesus said, is that what you went out to see? Now stop and think about this. John has been living out in the desert. John has been wearing a camel coat. He is eating locusts and honey. Do you think John just changes according to public opinion? Do you think he's like that reed? Oh, the wind blows this way and there goes John. And then it blows the other way. Oh, there goes John. And Jesus said, is that what you want not to see? Because that's not John. <laughs> you obviously know that. And so what did you go out to see? Someone wearing fine clothing? That's not John. <laughs> Those folks are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? You went out to see a prophet. And more than a prophet. He's the prophet that the prophets talked about and pointed to. That's what you went out to see. And among women, there is none greater than John. And so Jesus is saying, John had a unique place in history. Those prophets in the Old Testament and Isaiah that was pointing to that great coming day of the Lord. Well, guess who the forerunner is that Malachi talked about? That's John. And the one who announced there's one coming after me, that's John. And repent, the kingdom of heaven is head. Uh, here come, prepare the way. That's John. There's nobody in the history that's had a place greater than John. 
He was privileged to hold that. And he did it. But he that is least in the kingdom is greater. Not in stature, in privilege. John wasn't in the kingdom. He was announcing the kingdom. And some of you are going to have a chance to be in the kingdom. And that's greater to be in that position than even what the position John was in. But here's the reality. John's going to die in prison. He'll never experience that kingdom. But others will. So in verse 12, ever since John, men have tried to take the kingdom by violence. Ever since John and Jesus came announcing repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand, there's been pushback. There's been political pushback. There's been religious pushback. But what Jesus is saying, don't think that that opposition means that things have gone wrong or the plan is overthrown. John, stay with me. Go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. And in verse 14 and 15, he says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you listen, Jesus is saying, the kingdom's right on track. But it doesn't look like what he expected. So verses 16 through 19. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So what's Jesus saying? He said, this generation, it's like children who play, and they expect somebody to dance. Or they play, and they expect somebody to mourn. And what Jesus is saying, neither John nor myself do we dance to your tune. That's what he's saying. But now they're upset. They had expectations for John. He lived out by himself. and He wasn't a part of society. And so they said he had a demon. And then Jesus comes and he associates with society and they say a, a wine-bibber and a glutton. So he's saying, which way do you want it? But he says, wisdom is justified by her children. Some translations say by its deeds. And what that's saying is he wasn't looking for justification from them. What he was saying is, watch how this turns out. And wisdom will be justified by her children. By the results, is what he's talking about. And that God's at work in this world, and this kingdom is coming. 
And if you have ears to hear, you'll understand. This is the way it was brought. Wisdom is proven by our deeds. So as you read down through this and and you think about what's going to happen in this story? Well, in Matthew 14, about three chapters later, John's going to be beheaded. And when you get to Matthew 27, Jesus is going to be crucified. And yet he says wisdom is proven right or justified by her children, by her deeds. And for a lot of people, when they look at John, he, he was beheaded. <laughs> and then they look at Jesus, they, well, he was nailed to a Roman cross. The whole thing was a failure. And Jesus is saying, you, you just watch, you watch how this goes. And you'll see a king. And you'll see a kingdom. And it'll be brought into reality. So back to those children. So they're playing in the marketplace and the expectation is in that day and time, what was the expectation? See, the army will come, the king will come, the army will come and he'll get rid of certain people. The king and the army will come and he'll get rid of those Romans. The king and his army will come and he will get rid of all the problems in my life. See? And then it'll all be good. Because I've identified the enemies in my life. This is the problem with my life and it's these people or these things. And so Jesus has in mind there's a different enemy. And that enemy is evil. And it's spiritual evil. And that's what's causing problems in human history and in the human heart. And that's what brings all kinds of turmoils to life. So Jesus is here first and foremost to solve a spiritual problem. Not physical. And to solve that problem it takes a different approach. And that's what Jesus is doing. And so he's the embodiment of God's love. Now listen. The embodiment of God's love. Entering in and attaching himself to our experience. To our experience. Because sometimes in this life we say, boy, it can be hard. And we experience all kinds of struggles and all kinds of challenges and all kinds of pain. And Jesus said, I'm going to come join you. I'm going to come join you. I'm going to attach myself to that human story. So he suffers. The same as we do. The same human tragedy that is plagued by evil. So he knows our pain. He feels our pain. He has experienced our pain. 
because he willingly joined our pain. And then he allows evil to completely overcome him physically. But he will conquer evil by suffering and dying at the hands of evil. He'll not be delivered from the pain and the suffering. But He will be delivered and He'll deliver us through that pain. Why? Because He trusted the Father's plan. Not my will, but your will be done. Father, can this cup pass from me? No. It's what you got to do. But he stayed with the Father. And he stayed with the plan. And so evil exhausted all of its power killing him. But it could not conquer him. The cross was not a failure. That was the plan. So God's love, this king's love, this commitment was so great for his people that he would not let sin have the last word. See, Jesus had a different plan than what John had envisioned. And John hears what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I'm bringing a table where everyone can have a seat if they choose to. So Paul will write later in 1 Corinthians 15 and about verse 19, if in Him we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Why is that? Is your life just, is your hope just in this life? It may turn not turn out. <laughs> so why did Jesus do that? Because in John 15, John says, no greater love can a man have than he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. So he didn't come to solve everybody's problems. He healed some. He raised some. He fed some. But they all died too. And that wouldn't have solved the greatest problem that they had. But that was done to show who he was. And this was about a God, this is about a king who absolutely loves his subjects that have been compromised by evil, our greatest enemy. But he's willing to attach himself to our story. So why should I follow Jesus? If I have no guarantee, he's going to solve all my problems. Well, first and foremost, you've got to keep in mind Following Jesus 
is not the key to just happiness and success in your life. There will be times when things may be wonderful and we are amazed and we are thankful. But there are times when life is tragic and it's painful because that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. So there's no guarantee that Jesus is going to stop that from happening to you or from happening to me. He didn't stop it for John, did he? He didn't stop it for himself, did he? But there's one thing for sure. That does not mean that Jesus doesn't love you. Because him laying down his life proves that he loves you. Not that he's going to solve all your problems. So it's where's your hope. Is it in this life? Or is it in Jesus? You see what that does? That forces us to make a choice. And that forces us to put our hope in Jesus. And you know what else that does? It forces us To put our lives, no matter what the circumstances are, just like John, that forces us to put our lives in His hands. And you know where your life ought to be? It ought to be in His hands. And so what this story tells us, that can be a very exciting place to be. But that could also be a very scary place to be. But I know that if my life is in the hands of someone like Jesus who loves me and laid down His life for me, then it allows me to live in a space where I can be at peace and I can trust Him. You go back and you tell John what you see and what you hear. The kingdom's coming. It's right on schedule. And wisdom is justified by her children. So I know no matter what happens in my life, Jesus is committed to me. And therefore I put my trust in Him. Because he's a king who serves his subjects. Can we see that? And that's through the tragedies we can reconnect. Say, my hope is in Jesus. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and that are all that are here. That if in any way we can help you make your relationship right with the Lord this day, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.